first it was, where's dad, you know? And I said, I, I don't know. Josh Wetzler and Tommy Dean Welch were buried behind Pazuzu Algarod's home for five years. This went on for a matter of weeks uh, of working this scene. But deputies got their first tip Pazuzu was a murderer mere weeks after Josh's disappearance. I believe what her intent was, was to come down here and put all that on Amber, who was now in jail. During the trials of the two women involved, details of who knew what came to light, and the search warrant that resulted in Pazuzu's arrest for murder showed just how close investigators came to giving the victim's families closure years before they finally got the answers they needed. And so very complex in what we were dealing with. I'm Fox 8's Michael Hennessy, and this is Seduced by Satan. We would get bits and pieces and then people's stories would change. When Josh Wetzler and Tommy Dean Welch were unearthed from Pazuzu Algarod's backyard in Clemens, North Carolina, deputies flat out said they'd been to Algarod's home before, but we still didn't know how close they had come in contact with him or how close they had been to Josh and Tommy's bodies. That changed in March of 2017. All set. His self-proclaimed wife, Amber Birch, was about to have her final day in court. A detective took the stand. She arrived, she was arrived to the decomposing body of Joshua Lesser in the basement. On March 9th, 2017, Birch strolled into a courtroom in Winston-Salem wearing a blue prison jumpsuit, reading Forsyth County Detention Center on the back. Her hands cuffed with a chain around her waist. She looked vastly different than the woman we saw in her mugshot. Her hair changed from blonde to brown, and she had clearly gained weight. While the detective described the murder scene, Birch sat emotionless next to her attorney. Either he was too big to fit in the hole or too big to transport. With the families of Josh and Tommy in attendance, the investigator released details which had never before been heard by the public about how Birch and Algarod killed the men. Mentioned to Pazuzu that she was going to kill him, and Pazuzu um, stated that you know where the gun's at and it's loaded. A judge sentenced Birch to 30 to 40 years in prison. She's currently in Anson Correctional Facility, which is east of Charlotte, North Carolina. Crystal Matlock was sentenced in June of 2017, blowing a kiss to her family after pleading guilty to conspiracy after the fact to second-degree murder. But once the sentences were handed down, perhaps the biggest bombshell of the entire case, a judge ruled the search warrant from the October 2014 search of Algarod's Knob Hill Drive home could be released. And it gives us a step-by-step -step look at how the sheriff's office conducted their investigation we are held to a higher level. Law enforcement is held to that higher level. Um, and so this is a situation that, you know, obviously it prolonged the outcome for a number of years. Brad Stanley, who was chief deputy at the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office when the bodies were found, explains that law enforcement acts on facts, not speculation. And those boundaries were tested starting mere weeks after Josh Wetzler was killed in July of 2009. Something we would do differently, we would probably wait. But again, given the information that we had at the time and the, the circumstances, the decision was made to proceed. On August 3rd, 2009, a woman named Tarina Billings told a Detective Foster that her father, Alan, had been at Pazuzu's home on July 19th. There, she says her father saw a dead body 
in the basement. It had been covered in a plastic tarp and had cat litter and chlorine around the body to conceal the odor. Algarod had told Billings he had shot the person ten times. Tarina said her father told her he'd helped bury dismembered body parts in the backyard. He could still smell the odor of the body once he'd gotten home. That was good information, but it was not first-hand information. It was, quote, hearsay, second-hand. So we went to him, Alan at the time. He denied every bit of it. The warrant says Alan told Foster he'd been at the home, but denied seeing a body or helping with a burial. He did say Pazuzu had told him he'd killed someone with an assault rifle, but told Foster he didn't question Pazuzu about the murder and told him he didn't want to know anything about it. The next day, Detective Foster went to see Pazuzu face to face. It didn't happen exactly just knock on the door and say, did you kill someone? The warrant says Foster went to the home to try to establish contact with Pazuzu. He talked with him and informed him that he'd received information from several individuals that he had shot and killed someone in his basement and buried the body in the backyard. But Stanley says it was more than a simple door knock and that they were able to walk around the house and the yard. He denied uh, all that, just as Mr. Billings had denied it. Uh, there was nothing from the, the observation of the, of the eye of the investigators that could have indicated there had been a homicide. Uh, we were able to look in the backyard, but there was, uh, there was no indication of, of any, uh, I guess, ground that had been disturbed where a body could have been. There was some, I think there were four or five dogs and they were out there digging and playing and all that. So again, there was nothing that we could see at that point that would have given us the indication that there was something more there. Weeks went by when the Winston-Salem Police Department got a tip that someone named Tazuzu, Pazuzu with a T, who lived on Knob Hill, had shot someone and buried him in his backyard. Then months went by until February 9th of 2010, when the Winston-Salem Police Department's cold case homicide unit got two anonymous emails saying Algarod and Birch picked up a homeless person from a gas station and shot him in the head and buried him in Pazuzu's backyard under a tarp. That same day, Foster talked to Stacy Carter, who'd been called by a friend who'd heard Josh had been murdered and was buried in Pazuzu's yard. So I called her and she confirmed it, but did not want her name given because she actually knew uh, some of the people that were involved. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. Stacy reported Josh missing to the Davy County Sheriff's Office, Davy County neighbors Forsyth County to the west. At that time, they told me they had found Josh's car in July, shortly after I'd last seen him. She told Davy County deputies Josh would never go this long without contacting their son. In retrospect, Stacy thinks if Josh hadn't had run-ins with the law, he'd been arrested for having illegal mushrooms sent to his house, that tip would have had more legs in the eyes of the investigators. It's sad. It's like, you know, I felt like if Josh had been considered a more important person, that they would have, they would have pursued it, that, that we just weren't important enough. About a week later, back in Forsyth County, Foster applied for and was granted a search warrant for Pazuzu's home to keep looking into Josh's disappearance. They recruited the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, Triad Bloodhounds, and Davie County Sheriff's Office. They also tried to get help from North Carolina State University and a Dr. Oliver, who worked with the North Carolina Archaeological Research Center, 
about using their equipment in the search. But Dr. Oliver's crew was about to start another project and wouldn't be available for another two weeks. Oliver had also mentioned to Foster that cadaver dogs may or may not be able to detect a body buried with the given circumstances. But they went forward with the warrant anyway and found nothing. I know the investigators, the supervision that were involved at different points along the way uh, when it all came out that at the end when we did go out there uh, and find the bodies and all that, we started going back and looking, what could we have done differently? Again, could we have waited? Yes, we potentially could have waited, but the, the flip side of that is what if another person had been uh, killed in that period of time of waiting? Um, then, you know, we're, you had information and why didn't you act? It may have been regrettable, but justified, as about a half year after the warrant failed is when Joseph Chandler was killed, once again resulting in Pazuzu's conviction for his involvement. The sheriff's office says Amber Birch had been arrested for domestic assault on November 7, 2011. The following day, Cynthia, Pazuzu's mother, went to the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office. I believe what her intent was was to come down here and put all that on Amber, who was now in jail. And that was her intent to say, you've already got her in the jail, and here's more information on Amber. Cynthia told investigators that she was home when Tommy Dean Welch was killed. Cynthia gave us information at that point uh, about uh, seeing someone, Amber, holding a rifle. But what she was telling us was information on Amber. She wanted, when we took down her statement uh, and when we followed that up to say, we need to go out to the house, we need to find other stuff, we need to talk with your son, Pazuzu, that's where it stopped. So it was a, a, a classic case of a mother protecting her son. She'd also told investigators she'd witnessed Amber and a woman named Dixie digging a hole in their backyard, but the sheriff's office maintains that information still wasn't enough to get another search warrant. We interviewed uh, Cynthia James, the mother of Pazuzu, I know at least five times. Um, and she she would give a little bit of information, but not enough to, uh, to develop probable cause, and then would go back and recant uh, information, or she would deny allowing us access to the home. She would tell us something had happened, said, really, okay, we would take the notes and say, we need to go out there and look and find this evidence to support your testimony she wouldn't allow it. Years went by until September of 2014. A man named Matthew Flowers went to the sheriff's office. He told investigators he'd known Pazuzu for about eight years and that a girl that he used to date, Dixie Ross, had been spending a lot of time at Pazuzu's. Dixie had told him that she was, quote, a part of the family, meaning Pazuzu's family, and that she'd been involved in some weird things. She told him Pazuzu and Amber had shot someone in the head and she'd helped bury the body. Many times I've heard through the years, well, I know there's something bad going on in that house. Well, I probably agree. There probably is something bad, but I have to operate on fact. And so until I can prove that fact, there's nothing I as a law enforcement officer can do. Deputies then knew they needed Dixie, so they tracked her down. And she told them that in early October of 2009, Amber texted her, saying she needed her help to come over right away. And when Dixie got there, Amber, with 
a smile on her face, said, I just did my first, that they picked up a hitchhiker, later found to be Tommy Dean Welch, and the body was in the backyard, and Amber needed Dixie to help dig a hole. Afraid to say no, she and Amber went into the basement, got two shovels, and went out back. There she saw a white man's arm inside of his body under a tarp. Amber said they needed the hole dug before the sun came up. Dixie told investigators the ground was extremely hard. Her sandals kept falling off as she jumped on the shovel, so she used that as an excuse to stop digging. But Amber took off her shoes, gave them to Dixie, then put on Welch's shoes. Dixie said she began to sing, I'm wearing a dead man's shoes, out loud, over and over. All the information started coming in there at one time, and so we pieced it together prepared the search warrant, looked at the previous search warrant. She went into further detail how she saw Tommy's eyes. They were gray, cold-looking. She saw a bullet hole in his head. She watched as Pazuzu and Amber repeatedly struck his body with the shovels, trying to break his legs and arms. Eventually, they stopped and started dunking the shovels in Pazuzu's overly chlorinated pool, then hid the shovels back in the basement. They went back upstairs, bragged about the murder to Dixie, then warned her if she told anyone, she'd be their second, or maybe third. They asked if she was going to come back over, and scared, Dixie replied, yes. Dixie had taken pictures of the crime scene. You could see the tarp in the background of them. She gave the pictures to deputies and gave them a 13-page statement. That was on September 30th, 2014. Four days later, the search warrant that resulted in them finding Josh and Tommy's bodies was finalized. We'll probably never know what all took place in that house. Less than an hour from Cynthia James's new home, Stacy Carter sits on a quiet farm, a well-kept barn with a few stalls where she keeps her horse. Her daddy was a stallion named Rolling Stone. A golden hue peeks through the trees on a calm fall day as dragonflies, signifying change, transformation, circle overhead. It's just recent they've appeared, and I don't know why. There she reflects on the first time she met Josh. In 1999, I was traveling cross-country, and it was just me and my Honda Accord and my dog, Jojo. She'd gotten to the West Coast and met a couple who invited her into a home. Late that night... Josh came home. He had been working. Uh, he worked at the Olympia Cheese Factory. And he sat on the couch next to me. And we just started talking. And it was just like, I mean, just magnetic energy. They had a party the next night, which partially resulted in the landlord kicking everyone out. So Josh quit his job. They bought a 1977 Chevy van. Had shag carpet. We put a little platform and a bed in the back, and we went cross country and uh, ended up back in North Carolina. They'd both grown up riding horses, and Josh went to horseshoeing school. They wanted to be in the horse business. We called ourselves common law married. We were together for five, almost six years, I guess about six years. They'd bought land and a house. Their son Jared was born in 2004. And after being together for about six years, they split. But they stayed in touch, and Josh, involved in Jared's life, 
up until, as we talked about, the last time they saw him. He was always a good father. Um, we, and honestly, like, he was always a good person. I'm always a good person. We just didn't always agree. You know, like, uh, especially after Jared was born, I wanted to be a little more law-abiding. <laughs> and um, so that was one point of disagreement. She's still pursuing what was their shared dream while training to be a yoga teacher and working with a nonprofit. My life's work has become about horses and teaching people, giving people that opportunity. Jared's a teenager now, having spent the majority of his life without his father. So he's very stoic about all of it. Um, I don't know, you know, so he's always been processing it, but he seems to be doing okay, you know. He's, um, he's a little introverted, but he seems to be doing okay, and he's definitely a good kid. I mean, he's just a really good kid. She talks about regret. I feel like, you know, maybe I should have done something sooner. Um, maybe we could have prevented Tommy's death um, or, or Joseph Chandler. She's met Cynthia at her new home. I don't think she's evil. I think things got out of hand. She lost control and then she was terrorized. She was powerless. A little further east of Cynthia's home is the home of Tommy Dean Welch's family. We spoke with his aunt who declined to go on camera, but she told us his mother is in poor health, blaming the heartache of his death on her decline. It's a small white home with a lot of dogs inside. If you knock on the front door, it comes bouncing back at you as though the weight of the dogs is about to break it down. Fighting back tears with emotions visibly bubbling, Tommy's aunt talks about him, how much of a family man he was, how much he's missed. She's angry, very very angry, as is the rest of the family. Angry with investigators, angry with Cynthia, angry with Pazuzu, Amber, and Crystal, with everyone who could have lessened their torment. And it wasn't just the sheriff's office in Forsyth. I mean, you know, you had Davy County, where one of the individuals had been reported missing. So Davy is involved with us. Um, there was the, the previous homicide uh, in Yadkin County involving Pazuzu. The main investigators who worked the case are still with the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office, but there is a new sheriff in the county. Crystal Matlock was credited with time served for her accessory after the fact a second degree murder charge. She was released in May of 2018. Her parole ended on February 1st of 2019, and then she was arrested again for drug charges, breaking and entering, and possession of a firearm charges. The North Carolina Department of Public Safety says Amber Birch has committed two infractions since being convicted and sent to prison, possession of a weapon in August of 2018 and a high-risk act in May of 2019. She has a custody review in March of 2020, and her projected release date is May 20th, 2045. She was 24 when she was arrested for the murders. She'll be 55 in 2045. I think that she was more a product of Pazuzu's brainwashing than anything. Um, kind of felt sorry for her. Dixie Ross was never charged. It had been decided to use her as a witness. Cynthia James also never faced any charges related to the murders. Specifically, our investigators had point blank asked her many times through the years did you see something? Were you involved in it? anything like that? No, the response was always no.
To see this story told through pictures and video, head to our website, myfox8.com. If you like the podcast, tell a friend, please rate it, comment on it. Seduced by Satan was written and reported on by me, Michael Hennessy, edited by Matt Jensen. Joe Doherty helped with some of the interviews. Our executive producer is Kevin Daniels. <laughs>